The reading, as Neil just said, is from Romans chapter 13. So if you'd like to get your Bibles open, that'd be great. You can find that in the Blue Church Bibles on page 1140. Um, So Romans chapter 13, following on from Romans chapter 12, which we looked at last week, which is the hinge of the, the book. What does it look like to live in response to all the mercies, plural, that God has shown us? So we'll carry on then reading chapter 13 together. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all, uh, particularly if you're visiting. Uh, Great to have you with us this morning. Uh, Do keep your um, fingers in that uh, passage there. chapter 13. Uh, It's a great chapter and I hope it's going to help us as we continue this series looking through the book of Romans. Uh, Then we'll take a break for a couple of weeks uh, with the All Age Service and Remembrance Sunday and then we'll come back to chapter uh, 14. 
Uh, chapter 13 of Romans is one of the chapters that, uh, if you know Romans, you might think that's the chapter all about authority. Um, I'm actually going to not do very much on the first half of the chapter because back in April when I uh, spoke on engaging with the election, that first part was something we looked at in more detail. So if you want a bit of help understanding the first half of chapter 13, then have a pop on the website. Um, we're going to focus on the second half primarily, also because it's the half of the chapter that really helps you understand the first half, and it's a half of the chapter that's often ignored. Um, but as we come to God's word, let me pray, and we'll look at this together. The Apostle Paul, in a different book, says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage that teaches us why we should love and how we should love, uh, forgive us because we know we all fall short uh, and don't love you and love the people as we know we want to and we should. But I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, you would speak into each of our hearts and teach us the joy of truly giving our lives away in love of other people. And please help us to understand some of the difficult things in this passage and uh, help us not to leave here unchanged. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, I wonder if uh, some of my volunteers could stand up. Uh, you're a volunteer if I gave you something weird to wear over your eyes. There's a few of them around the room. Uh, if you just like to do a little twirl so everyone can kind of see. Fantastic. Um, let's start with Steve. Steve, you're looking very cool. Maybe a bouncer or something. Uh, just tell us what life looks like when you look through your sunglasses. Life's pretty dark through the glasses, but if you were to go outside on this sunny day, actually you'd have an advantage. You'd see more clearly because the brightness of the sunshine might blind our eyes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Helen, uh, you look particularly brilliant with the glasses underneath. <laughs> What's life like when you look through a pair of goggles? Um, I can see clearly it's front but not around the side, and it keeps off. <laughs> great. You can see clearly forwards, not to the sides. So not great peripheral vision. I know they're also a bit scratched from where I put them on the side of the swimming pool, but if you were to go underwater... Uh, these goggles will really help you to see clearly. Andrew, I know you like walking. You've got a pair of binoculars there. Yeah. Tell, them, tell me a bit about what life looks like through the binocs. Yeah, you wouldn't usually walk around holding a pair of binoculars, but if you're in the mountains and you want to see where you're going or you're into birds, then you can uh, spy them out with a pair of those. Uh, Simon, when we were on the plane coming back from Swaziland, Simon had a pair of these uh, great-looking things on his face. What's life like for you with a blindfold? Uh, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> Simon's feeling very insecure. He can't see anything. And I uh, particularly like the kind of Where's Wally look that um, Caroline's sporting. Do you want to do a little twirl for those who can't see? There we go. Uh, life through those glasses? Well, it's great for that bit. It's not very good for anything else. So again, my cushion's gone. And I really just want you to wear them because you look ridiculous and it's quite <laughs> funny for us. There we go, take a seat. I'll need to borrow you again in a minute. Um, whenever you wear different lenses, they help you to see in different environments, don't they? Uh, and I want us to understand that the gospel, the Christian gospel, which uh, Wellesley was helping us to grasp last week, is like a different lens through which we can view the whole of life. 
Uh, you've, you've seen in the previous weeks, uh, Romans chapter one, chapters 1 to 11, is this great um, praise as the Apostle Paul tries to look at what the Christian gospel is all about. Who is this man, Jesus? What's he done? Who's he done it for? How do I know? What difference does it make in my life? And you remember the end of chapter 11, this great doxology. Doxa is a word that means praise. He breaks out in kind of spontaneous praise because of all that Christ means to him. And then chapter 12, which Wellesley was looking at last week, chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Do you remember he he looked at the what and the how? What is the command? In view of God's mercy, in other words, in light of everything God has done, in view of God's mercy... What? Offer your bodies, how? As a living sacrifice. And he gave a lovely illustration of uh, the um, offering bag or box being passed around the church and everyone scrabbles in their pocket and they put a little bit of money in. But a little boy was there who grasped all that chapter 12 was all about and he actually climbed into the offering tray himself. His whole life, all that he was, was an offering to God. Do you remember that illustration? And that's exactly what Paul is arguing in chapter 12 of Romans. What he's saying is that true worship is about giving our lives away. True worship is about giving our lives away. And there were two words, weren't there, in chapter 12, 1 and 2. The word conform, don't do it, Paul says, and the word transform, do do it. So I want to, if Caroline could just stand up with her, where's Wally look? Pop your glasses on. You said you could see reasonably clearly. And if I put these different lenses in the front of your glasses, you just did a little twirl. Tell, tell us now how you see the world. Ah, oh, well, there you go. A different lens in these glasses, and suddenly she sees everything differently. Still can see all the things that she could see before, but you all look different. Thanks, you can sit down. That is the exact point that Paul is trying to make here. Put a different lens into the way that you see and everything that you then cast your eye on, you look at differently. And that's what Paul's trying to argue the gospel does. And one of the things particularly that these new lenses will do if you come to put your faith in Jesus is they will change the way that you view the instructions of God's law. Uh, The instructions of God, which in this passage he refers to as law, his instructions, completely transforms the way you view them. Because God is not a God who just says, do this and don't do that, because I'm God and I'm just telling you what to do. Being a Christian is about obeying certain rules and not doing other things, uh, and God is just there to zap you with a lightning bolt when you get it wrong. That's not why he gives commands. When we have these new lenses, we'll suddenly see that the commands he gives are good for us. Well, as he said last week, chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, there were 28 different commands. But the commands weren't do this, do that. The commands were new lenses on. Can you see why I want you to live like this? It's actually for your good. It'll help you to love other people. And you see one of those commands that continues in chapter 13, which is this command to be subject to governing authorities. But then what's the reason he gives for... There is no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail trying to explain that because we've done that back in April and you can follow it. But the big point he's trying to make, not just in that little bit of Romans 13, but the whole kind of argument so far is once you grasp that Jesus Christ is Lord of all of life, Suddenly it becomes a pleasure to want to follow his instructions. 
to follow his law. Because you realize that his instructions are there for your flourishing. The instructions throughout God's word have always been there for the flourishing of God's people. God is not a killjoy. As one writer has put it, when you become a Christian, it's about learning to march to the beat of a different drummer. Everything changes in life because you have these new lenses that helps you see differently. And the big thing I want to focus on, if you look at it there in verse 8, is this big command to love other people. It says, verse 8, love one another. And the verse after, love your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor literally means other. So love the other as you love yourself. One of the things I love about the Christian gospel is that it's deeply relational. God is a relational God, existing as Father, Son, and Spirit. And right at the heart of the Christian gospel is relationship. He longs to be in relationship with all the people he has made. And he longs that the truth of all that he's done for us transforms the way we relate to other people. Now you'll all experience this in your life. That person who rubs you up the wrong way, that person who doesn't understand you, that person who hurts you, the person you would just like to avoid... But what the gospel does is it says, learn to love that person as God has loved you. Do you think if you were to put yourself in that picture and God as the other character, do you think he's ever said that of you? God looks down in the morning and goes, rats, there's Mark again. That thing I made, oh dear. He he doesn't say that because when he looks at the people he made, despite all of our mess and rebellion, he says, I love you. He he never says to someone, "I, I don't want to know you. He says, with all the mess of your life, I do want to know you. So you can begin to see how the gospel changes the way that we relate to people who we find difficult. Look at verse 8. There's this funny phrase. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That phrase, continuing debt, doesn't actually come in the original. But the editors have inserted it to help us get a sense of what Paul was arguing. Because when the translation into English comes, you wouldn't really grasp it. And what he's saying is a sense of we will always fall short of loving perfectly but that doesn't mean that we should stop loving. But why should we love? Notice what it says in verse 8. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That word fulfillment is not about an end. He's not saying love is the end to the law, the commands of God. God is not a God who just says, just love other people, but completely ignore what I say. All you need is love. Actually, love and law, love and God's commands, come together. So the purpose of God's command is always to help us to love other people more deeply. Have a look at verse 9. He gives some examples. Uh, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, do not covet. And whatever other command there is may be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. God didn't just give an arbitrary command, don't commit adultery, and and say to people, if you're a husband, don't have an affair with a woman who's not your wife. When Jesus interpreted that command, he said, listen, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in his heart. That wasn't just a command from God, because God's God and he gives commands. It's a relational command. If I was to look lustfully on another woman, or I was to take a woman who was not my wife and sleep with her, That is not going to be loving. Of course it's not. It's not loving to that person. It's not loving to my wife. It's not actually loving to myself. It's not loving to those around me. We think about that command, do not covet. 
It's not just an arbitrary command, it's helping us to love. If I spend my whole time wanting what's not mine, I'll never be content with what is mine. I'll always be wanting to pursue what somebody else has. I won't be able to love someone for who they are, I'll just love them for what they have, and so on. Jesus always takes the commands and he drives deeper, and at the heart of every command he gives is love. Every one of his commands, in a different way, helps us to love him, helps us to love other people. I want to illustrate this with this boat, uh, a great ship. What does that ship need to move through the ocean? It needs wind. Well, just as that ship needs wind to move through the ocean, you and I need to have our relationships undergirded by love. It's as if love needs to blow through all of our life into all of our relationships for us to be able to function well as human beings. But it's love that enables us to live out the commands of God in a way that will be beneficial to other people. But what does this ship also need? As well as the kind of wind that blows it and drives it forward, it needs something else that's at the back of the boat, under the water, it's quite small. A rudder. And what does the rudder do? It steers the ship. You've got the power of love and you've got the steering, the power of the wind and you've got the steering of the rudder. Now think about relationships. Each of us in relationships, particularly in difficult ones, needs the power of love flowing and flooding through the relationships, but needs the commands of God like a little rudder, directing how we show that love to other people, making sure that our love is never selfish. Uh, if you grew up in this era, you might remember this, all you need is love. That's not really what Paul is arguing. He's saying, yes, you need love to flow through every relationship, but it must be controlled by his commands because love so quickly becomes all about me. It becomes internalized. It becomes selfish. Well, here's a couple of questions for you. If it, as it were, you put on those spiritual lenses that completely changes how the way you can view the world, how does that actually impact the way you relate to each other? How do you think you're doing at this? Um, if you come into this church community, do you feel loved? Uh, often it's not the case. Often it's the people closest to us that hurt us the most. Church can be a painful place. But do you feel loved when you come here? A second question, do you love when you're here? If you were to look around at these people, some who are very good friends, some who you find difficult, do you love? And if the community out there were to look in... Would they see this as a church that loves, a community of people that loves, loves each other, loves the Lord, loves the people out there? Because as I've said many times before, we don't live and exist in here for ourselves. We're here for the benefit of those who aren't here. But loving can be tough, can't it? And Paul knows that. Look at verse 11. The command is to love, but he says, do this understanding the present time. Paul's not immune from culture. He's not immune from the struggles and the strains that we have to love in relationships. But do you remember what came across really clearly last week from chapter 12? Paul's not calling us to run away from this world. He's calling us to be different in this world. It's all about putting on gospel lenses and seeing what difference all that Christ has done for us has in every area of our life. Look how it goes on in verse 11. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Uh, that word 
which we don't sort of use the word slumber very much, think of it in terms of spiritual laziness. Would you say you're a spiritually lazy person? I guess what I mean by that is a person who doesn't consciously think about how you're growing as a Christian. Consciously consider what it is you're feeding your heart and your mind. How are you helping yourself to grow? Because last week, Wellesley looked at a different word that's the complete opposite of spiritual laziness. Chapter 12, verse 11, spiritual fervor. And he asked the question, didn't he? Are you boiling? Do you have a boiling fervor or a simmering one? It's this zeal for the Lord that wants to keep going, that wants to keep growing. It's about intentionality. I read this uh, book probably about five years ago by a man called John Piper called Think. Uh, It's a really helpful book. What he tries to do in this is address spiritual laziness Um, some people struggle with a kind of intellectualizing faith it becomes all about what they know in their minds but it's something they never feel it's a particular problem in theological colleges and those who spend more time studying but i suspect for the majority of us here we don't struggle with over intellectualizing and overthinking we struggle with not thinking enough because we're very emotional people emotional beings but what he argues in this is that for us to think is actually to, do, to live for the glory of God. He demonstrates from Scripture that glorifying God with our minds and with our hearts isn't an either-or, but a both-and. Thinking carefully about God fuels our passion and affections for him. I wonder if you think about that little illustration I had up earlier, the cartoon, the kind of rats, who's that guy I don't want to speak to? Who's that person I find irritating? How much time do you actually spend thinking about how the Christian gospel could affect the way that you relate to them? Uh, Maybe you're going to work and you've got a difficult situation on Monday and you think, I can't cope with this. There's too much responsibility. I haven't got a solution. Or you think, I've got to go home and face a difficult relationship. Naturally, we do one of two things. We run away, we shy away from the confrontation, or we just pile in, all guns blazing, and do great damage. But what this passage is saying is, Think about how you love. Think about the difference that the gospel can make to that relationship. Why has God put that difficult person in your life? What might he be wanting to teach you? Why is God allowing you to go through this period of real hardship? How is he teaching you to depend on him more? The more you think about God and the more you think about the gospel you'll begin to see more and more that these lenses actually work, that the gospel does affect all of life. It affects the way that you use your gifts and talents. It affects the way that you work. It affects the way you relate to your neighbors. The view you have of politics and culture and authority and nature and enjoyment and holidays and your money. The gospel isn't just, Jesus died for me and I can be forgiven and if I trust in him, I'll live forever. The gospel goes much, much deeper. And it's what we're going to look at in our evenings together in a few weeks' time. Well, just to try and pull this together, have a look at verse 12, because Paul gives a contrast between night and day. He says there, put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armour of light. And then he goes on to explain what that is. And he gives some illustrations here. Do you notice that the illustrations he gives to illustrate deeds of darkness, that is all the stuff that Paul was talking about in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, about conforming. 
It's the pattern of this world. It's all that he explained in Romans chapter 1. He says, don't do it. It's putting aside the deeds of darkness. When we conform to the pattern of this world, what are we doing? We're not worshipping. Because we're living our lives with God not at the center. And that's not worship. But you notice, when our lives are transformed, and what does he say back in chapter 12? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the way you think differently you suddenly start to worship with your whole of your life. It talks about clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I was to cover myself in a giant black robe, what would you see? It's not a trick question. You'd see a giant black robe, great. If I was to dress myself in a Batman outfit, what would you see? An idiot, someone who looks stupid. Okay. If I clothe myself in a black robe, I look like I'm wearing a black robe. I clothe myself in a Batman outfit, I look like an idiot. If I clothe myself in Christ, what do I look like? A bit more like Jesus. And that's exactly what he's arguing in this passage. You'll know the, the, the verses. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Christian life as a journey. Gradually becoming more like Christ. Or you'll know that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where God is, we are being transformed into Christ-likeness with ever-increasing glory. And as God works in our life, as we increasingly clothe ourselves in Christ, we become a bit more like him. And actually, when you become more like Christ, you become more human. You become more of a worshipper. And that is all that he's driving out in this passage. What Paul is getting at as we've journeyed from chapter 12 through to chapter 13, he gets to a place now where he says, my command for you is to love other people. And as we go into chapter 14, we'll see that applied in the way that we relate to people of different conscience to us, particularly in a church setting. And that's a really important chapter to look at. But as I close, Paul is challenging each of us to love other people. How do we love other people better? It's by loving him more. And how do we love the Lord more? It's by thinking about everything he's done for us. In view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And if you and I allow the love of God to be like that wind blowing through our lives into every relationship. And we let the commands, the law of God, be like the rudder that controls how we relate to each other then God, a people will see Christ in you. People will see Christ in us. People out there will look in and say, there's something in there that I want. Because what they'll see and what they'll experience is lives changed by Christ. And that's our vision as a church, isn't it? So let's be a church that allows love to flow and blow through every one of our relationships. And let's pray to see lives transformed by Christ.